Wake up at Holiday Inn Express to a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. Count on all the hot, fresh coffee you need and an incredible breakfast buffet that has something for everyone, like eggs, cinnamon rolls, and even hot, fresh pancakes with all the toppings you crave. Next time, do yourself a favor and stay at a Holiday Inn Express with a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. So, when you wake up at Holiday Inn Express, you'll wake up happy, a part of IHG Hotels and Resorts. Hello, Little Woman fans. How are you all doing? I set myself a challenge to read other Louisa May Alcott books than Little Woman and Rose in Bloom. And I have Old Fashioned Girl waiting and I found her book called Under the Lilacs from an old bookstore. I haven't got that far yet. It is a children's book. And I have talked about this before in this channel, how... Louisa May Alcott has certain character archetypes who always appear in her novels, and there are these plot lines that she always recycles. I think those plot lines tell a lot about her as a person. Under the Lilacs tells about two twin girls called Betty and Bab, and about an orphan boy who shows up in their lives. His name is Ben, and he used to work in a circus. Alcott doesn't mention where Ben is from, but he is thought to have brown skin, like Laurie. In the scene where Ben is introduced, he is hiding in a bush, watching these two girls when they are playing. In Little Woman, in one of the early chapters, Laurie is behind a bush watching the March sisters playing Pil Pilgrim's Process. So the way I analyze these scenes, it is all about a boy who wants to be part of that group. A boy who wants a family to themselves. At the same way as Mrs. March becomes Laurie's surrogate mother, Mrs. Moss, who is the mother of the twins, almost adopts young Ben. We have talked about Louisa May Alcott's maternal nature in previous episodes. I feel that especially the modern filmmakers don't like it, and in recent Little Woman adaptations, the part of Joe wanting to be a mom and being a maternal person is completely neglected because that doesn't fit into the atmosphere of modern feminism. Algot's primal nature is neglected when this modernization happens. I have been thinking about this a lot. In some ways, this reflects certain coldness in our society because even if we erase these ideas that Joe wants to be a mom, one of the messages in these books is really about how the society treats children who are being neglected and abandoned. And then we have these characters in these books like Joe and Mrs. March who are all about protecting children and being there. This is a quality that runs through in all characters within Little Woman. We have Beth who is also very maternal. She is described to have a doll hospital. Maggie's maternal becomes a mother of three. Even Laurie and Amy work for neglected children when they literally go to find orphans for Joe and Friedrich to raise. I really like the 2018 adaptation of Little Woman. It is one of my favorites. But there's a scene where Joe is holding Meg's baby and she says, what I'm going to do with this? Especially Little Woman adaptations tend to focus on other things like Joe becoming a writer or this triangle between Joe, Amy and Laurie or with Laurie, Joe and Friedrich. And the triangle itself doesn't happen in the book. In the chapter friend that Christina and I are chatting today, 
this chapter takes place when Joe is in New York for a year and she falls in love with Friedrich. Friedrich falls in love with her, but they don't exactly know how to put those feelings into words. And in the 19th century, there was a certain protocol what it came to courting people had to follow. This courting takes place in chapter surprises and under the umbrella. There is this moment when Friedrich looks at the fireplace and he sees Joe holding a baby and this fills his heart with longing. I always thought that was a very romantic scene. There is a moment in the 2019 Little Woman where Joe is in New York and she meets Friedrich and she is writing and she says, I'm too busy to talk with you. She's very rude, the 2019 Joe. These girls are running around her. She doesn't pay any attention to them. In the book, when Jo writes about her time in New York, she writes a great deal how she enjoys being a governess to Kitty and Minnie, these two girls that she is in charge of. And it is mentioned time and time again in the books how much Jo loves babies. But then in the movies, there is this pattern to show Jo as a person who is not child-friendly at all. Most of these women who write these movies are mothers themselves. That is something I find quite sad. They think that Joe needs to choose between family and a career, but it's really ironic because the idea that Joe should choose between family and career is completely outdated. If we think about the historical context before Little Woman, in most books it was like you need to choose between marriage and family or go to work because it took a very long time for a woman to be able to work in certain jobs. And Little Woman was the first book which broke this mold. Because Joe was able to combine the two, she could be married and be a working girl and be a mom without any kind of inner conflicts. There is still one more episode coming up and then Little Woman podcast goes to a break. We continue on the spring 2024 with season 5. There are some really good episodes coming up. If you want to contact me in the meantime, all the social media links are in the description. This is Little Woman podcast. Chapter Friend, Louisa May Alcott's quotes on wanting to get married. As soon as she went to her room, she got out her papers and carefully reread every one of her stories. Being a little short-sighted, Mr. Bear sometimes used eyeglasses and Joe had tried them once, smiling to see how they magnified the fine print of her book. Now she seemed to have got on the professor's mantle, or moral spectacles also, for the faults of these poor stories glared at her dreadfully, and filled with her dismay. They are trash, and will soon be worse than trash if I go on, for each is more sensational than the last. I've gone blindly on, hurting myself and other people for the sake of money. I know it is so, for I can't read this stuff in sober earnest without being horribly ashamed of it. And what should I do if they were seen at home or Mr. Bear got hold of them? Joe turned hot at the bear idea and stuffed the whole bundle into her stove, nearly setting the chimney afire with the blaze. Yes, that is the best place for such inflammable nonsense. I'd better burn the house down, I suppose, than let other people blow themselves up with my gunpowder, she thought, 
as she watched the demon of the Nura whisk away, a little black cinder with fiery eyes. But when nothing remained of all her three months of work, except a heap of ashes and the money in her lap, Jo looked sober as she sat on the floor, wondering what she ought to do about her wages. I think I haven't done much harm yet, and may keep this to pay for my time, she said after a long meditation, adding impatiently, I almost wish I hadn't any conscience. It is so inconvenient if I didn't care about doing right and didn't feel uncomfortable when doing wrong. I should get on capitally. I can't help wishing sometimes that father and mother hadn't been so dreadfully particular about such things. Ah, oh, Joe, instead of wishing that, thank God, that father and mother were particular and pity from your heart those who have no such guardings to hedge them, round with principles which may seem like a prison walls to impatient youth, but which will prove serve foundations to build character upon in womanhood. So Joe burns her sensational stories, and then she looks them with uh, new eyes. This is the way I look at some of my old paintings, I guess. <laughs> Or some of my old writings. Yeah, just like how I felt with that one story I mentioned earlier that I wrote in high school, just like, oh, no, just, yeah. So I think that, you know, it took a lot of, I think, courage for her to do that. And let's just say moralistically, did it do any harm? No, but, you know, it, like, it hasn't, like, inspired someone to go out into the world and, do harm, but still, it was a harm to her psyche. It was a harm to her uh, writing because it really was bringing her down when she should have been going up better. It's funny this part where she talks about I wish she didn't have a conscience, but I don't think she really means that. Yeah, I think for like as, as many of us would feel that sort of like I wish that I was. I could just be able to do whatever, like, like there are times, like, I sit here and go, I just wish I wasn't the bigger person. You know, I wish I could just be petty and mean and, and not do the quote-unquote right thing, but, but in the end, it's actually, you don't want this to continue on and you really should be the bigger person in this, in this case. So I definitely can understand what what she feels you just have that feeling of like I just wish I wasn't so nice or I wish I wasn't you know I, I wish I could just break out and just say what I want to be and say but you know that it's actually not really going to be a nice thing to say or the right thing to do so <laughs> that's the last thing you want me is to be like that person that you're angry at or the feeling is definitely a, a relatable feeling because I think all of us at one point wish we weren't like ourselves and was able to do this thing that is crazy and mean and wild but in the end we know eh, it's actually probably best that I don't because it's not going to have a good outcome if I do. Yeah, Friedrich says that it harms children. He doesn't want his nephews to see those stories and it's always so weird to me when people say that, oh, Joe gave up her writing and 
Professor Bear forced her to start a school for boys where I don't know where they get that because in the book it says that it was Joe's idea. Throughout the, the entire novel there this mentions how much Joe loves kids and how much he loves boys. When she thinks about how much her work harms young children is something that she begins to look at with more critical eyes. And I was reading once again these stories about Frank Leslie and his newspaper, how they, they like to add these very gory illustrations there and uh, very shocking material. I don't know how shocking it would be these days, but very shocking then. You probably wouldn't still want to see, still want kids to see that kind of horrifying stuff, like you said. And I often wonder, like, in the 19th century, when they wanted to write these sensational stories and sell them, they had to include lots of racial stereotypes and make things more shocking than they perhaps actually were. And then when I read Louisa May Alcott and her life and how she was abolitionist and how she loved Germans and immigrants and uh, how much she loved kids, so it couldn't suit well with her to... Uh, have to write these, I don't know, racial stereotypes about people or children being hurt or things like that. I, I don't understand about, like, just kind of thinking about the school. Because I, I was just, when you said about, you know, oh, in the book she said it, but like also in the 94 version, she comes up with that idea too. Mm, yeah. Like, Bridget's about to leave and she's like, well, I want to start a school and I'm going to need someone to teach. Like, like, so, yeah, I don't know where people get the idea that Friedrich forced her into anything. I really have no idea where people get half of these ideas. Of, they get them from Greta Gerwig. Get them from Greta Gerwig, from mm. their own hopeful wish fulfillment, like, mistranslations, like, when any, anyone uh, leaves me a comment like something like oh professor forced joe to start school then i just take a screenshot from the book and then i post it like well here's the scene where joe that she wanted to start school and then i add the quote from losing my journal where she says that she wanted to start a school with henry now i just try to encourage everyone to do the same i have no idea where people get that like somebody left me a comment that Joe's only job in the school is to sweep the floor. I'm like, I don't think you have read Little Man. And then I just posted all these scenes from the Little Man. Yeah, like this was a, like a Greta Gerwig fan who posted this. Sweep the floor. Do you think Joe would have allowed herself to just be content with that? Wow. <laughs> Crazy stuff people have. It was so so sad and so weird why would anyone think that and obviously they hadn't read the book it was so obvious right yeah <laughs> and, and i remember someone made a post where they like said something about like you know 
oh, free drink is not that great. I don't know why you'd like him. And then they're like, but if Daniel Brule played him, well, maybe I'd him. And I'm like, um, I agree with you. I want Daniel Brule to play him, but your description of the character is way far off. And and then they threw at, you know, the one of the popular myths of, well, her editor made her, you know, marry him. I'm like, actually, no, that's not true. You can read, because I learned it from you, that and read the letters from online and she was never forced to marry any of the sisters off um, and it's based off of the true life love that she had and the person actually went oh I didn't know that thank you for telling me I'm like good like I, I want to try the best as I can spread truthful information in the nicest way possible obviously I, I never want to be like about it or like you're an idiot or anything like that which is one of the, I gotta say one of the wonderful things about your podcast is that it's, it's done in the nicest way possible just correcting the sort of misconceptions that are had about little women and it's publishing history too like it's very clear you did not read the book or you only just saw this version of it so of course you would think that way yeah and it's such a shame. And I was talking with a friend of mine recently how one of the things that I want to do in this podcast is that I know that there are people who I can't like force to like Frederick, and there are people who I can't force to like Laurie because there are lots of German Frederick fans who hate Laurie. I know tons of them. And there are lots of people who dislike Amy. But I have been thinking that if I can make people have more neutral relationship with Frederick or more neutral feelings for Laurie or for more neutral feelings for Amy, then I'm doing a good job. Whether a date night or family holiday outing, Meadowlark's Winter Walk of Lights is the perfect way to experience the magic of the holidays. The half-mile walk through Vienna's enchanting Meadowlark Botanical Gardens features lighted nature themes and sparkling displays. Get your tickets now at winterwalkoflights.com. Extend your holiday season and beat the rush with a weeknight visit in November or early December. Plan your visit and buy tickets at winterwalkoflights.com. That's winterwalkoflights.com. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Like, that's my goal. I feel like you don't have to like it, but just respect the character or the relationship or whatever. Again, if it's not your cup of tea, fine, but I'd rather you sit there and go, I could see why Joe and Friedrich would be together rather than just sitting there going, I hate them together. It makes no sense. Like, you know, whether Mm -hmm. they will ever be your favorite literary couple of all time. Why fans like this character and or 
first acknowledged that Laurie was based on Alcott's ex and then Friedrich was based on Henry David Thoreau and she was in love with him, that itself validates relationships in a love woman. And I think a lot of people, when they realize that they have new curiosity for the novel, or that is my experience, it does help to know all these extra things. I don't think people need to read Little Woman just to appreciate John Friedrich, but just the knowledge that there was a real-life basis for things. Because Louisa May Alcott, she wrote so much from her personal experience, and just that these certain characters, they appear again and again in her novels, I just think it's interesting. It sort of validates this idea even more. There was a real-life Laurie and there was a real-life Frederick. And there's a reason why Joe says no to Laurie in the book, which is not really in the films. But when people understand that, it makes it easier for them to digest why these couples work in the novel. And I was just thinking of a post that someone said, like, you know, I can't believe people are angry that Joe and Laurie don't end up together because they're like, I don't know how many times I've read it, but I never once ever saw it as going anything beyond romance and Lori reminded me so much of my brother and like I love my brother but like some of the more annoying habits I'm like oh my god that is so him or the sort of antics they would get up to is very sibling like to me it feels very incestuous to think people try to ship Joe and Lori together because it's like trying to pair a brother with their sister like Ew. And why? It's not even like he's a, that interesting of a character at first. Certainly not by the time he proposed to Joe because he was just being bratty and selfish when you have this genuinely good, mature man who respects her. And why? why is that not the more logical relationship when... They clearly show great chemistry together versus, like, childhood romance can be good when you do it right, but this was not, this is not done right. Joan Laurie is not a good example of that being done right. Because it wasn't ever meant to be a romance. <laughs> right. I always refer to Alcott's quote when she says, I'll never marry Joe to Laurie to please anyone because it was never her intention and again it was fans who wanted her to marry Joe to Laurie not the editor or publisher they, the fans were the ones pushing for it and she was like that's not my intention so sorry deal with it and I do think that Louisa Mayalga planned already in part one that she would bring in Friedrich's character because in part one, Joe reads White White World and there is Joe and Friedrich type of love story. She does have this quote that she sort of saw great character development when the character moved on from one person to another. So we have Joe moving from Laurie to Friedrich and it's sort of a passage to adulthood for Joe, which it kind of is. And it's the same with Laurie with from moving from Joe to Amy and he becoming more mature through that. But I have seen zero real woman adaptations which do that. 
then again, I haven't really come across that many Algot studies who have done more of a deeper research on Louisa May Algot's views on marriage in her novels. And there are a couple that I have come across, but I, then I think most people who write adaptations, they are Joe and Laurie Shippers, and they don't really want to dive into Amy and Laurie and Joe and Frederick. I feel like if Alcock truly did not like marriage, she would have, one, not had Meg marry, and two, if have, have her married, let the marry go, marriage go in the shambles and be like, see, this is what happens when you get married. Like, no. Very clearly, at the end of the novel, there's four successful marriages. Marmy and Father and Meg and John, Amy and Laurie and Joe and Friedrich. And only out of all four of the girls, only one didn't get married, but that's because she dies. I, I doubt very much that her views on marriage and family is so negative that at the end of it all, everybody is married and has at least a kid. Oh, how terrible. She really hated marriage. She just wanted her characters to suffer that. <laughs> Please. I just always go back to that quote where she writes that... Uh next life after her death she's going to have kids and a husband and get those things that she didn't have in this current life and it's once again i think it's really sad that she thinks that way that that she has to sort of live this lonely life and then in her next life get the things that she wanted then again i think it's some kind of a coping mechanism because when henry died Quite soon after that, she listed to go to the war and work as a nurse there. I don't want to say that she had a dead wish, but I think she lost some kind of a basis from her life when he died. I think it explains a lot. There's this Alcott schooler, Susan Susan Bailey. She runs the blog, Louisa May Alcott is my passion, and she has this whole section of these books and how Henry David Thoreau appears in them in Louisa May Alcott's novels. Wink, wink to everyone. And then there is the Larry Wisniewski. He also appears in her novel. So it's always these two guys that pop up here and there. Sort of picking back what you said about, you know, hoping that in the next life you'd have it. Again, if, you know, everybody pretty much is in the belief that Little Women is pretty much a semi-biography. The fact that she writes Joan Friedrich actually getting together and having a family it's like her way of sort of trying to live vicariously through her characters letting them have something she never got to to have herself a sort of version of her and Thoreau which I again sort of I guess psychoanalyzing myself and I'll even say a few other writers Writers tend to do that because it's the one escape that they've got, the one chance that they're able to say or do the things that they never had the chance to do. And it's some sort of, as you said, like coping mechanism to sort of get through the loss of something. Like I said, it's just sad to think that that's her, to her, probably one of the only ways she could properly be with Thoreau is through this sort of medium 
and I try to put that info out there that like no she based their rela- the relationship off of her and Thoreau like we like to romanticize things a lot which is not necessarily a bad thing but I'm like let's romanticize this because this is such a very huge important thing to Alcott and I do get a lot of people when I share that they're like oh my god no that, that's so sweet oh that makes me look at the relationship a different way and I'm like yes <laughs> again you don't have to love them but like sort of look at it through the lens of like this is something that was very deep and personal to Alcott and not just some thrown together character just to get Joe married which is total bullshit exactly <laughs> It really gave a, an extra depth to Joe's and Frederick's relationship. And I had been shipping them since I was a little girl. So when I find out about it, I was like, this is everything. I had sort of a very personal connection with that because it was like one of the first couples that I shipped. It was a nice addition to that to find out all these real stories behind it. Would you like to continue? We're almost done. <laughs> sure. Joe wrote no more sensational stories, deciding that the money did not pay for a share of sensation, going to the other extreme, as it is the way with people at first down. She took the course of Mrs. Sherwood, Miss Edgewood, and Hannah Moore, then produced a tale which might be more properly called an essay or sermon, so intensely moral. She had her doubts about it from the beginning, for a lively fancy and girlish romance felt as ill at ease in the new style as she would have done masquerading in the stiff and cumbrous costume of the last century. She sent this didactic gem to several markets, but it found no purchaser. But, and she was inclined to agree with Mr. Dashwood that morals didn't sell. Then she tried a children's story which she could have easily disposed of if she had not been mercenary enough to the man's filthy lecture for it. The only person who offered enough of it to make it worth her while to try juvenile literature was a worthy gentleman who felt it his mission to convert all the world to his particular belief. But as much as she liked to write for children, Joe could not consent to depict all her naughty boys as being eaten by bears or tossed by mad bulls because they did not go to a particular Sabbath school, nor all good infants who did go as awarded by every kind of bliss, from gilded gingerbread to escort of angels when they departed this life with psalms or sermons of their listing tongue. So nothing came of these trials. And Joe corked up her instead and said in a fit of every wholesome humility, I don't know anything. I'll wait till I do before I try again. And meantime, sweep the mud in the street if I can't do better. That's honest, at least. Which decision proved her second humble down the beanstalk that had done her some good. While these integral revolutions were going on, her external life had been as busy and as uneventful as usual. And if she had sometimes looked serious or a little sad, no one observed it but Professor Bear. He did it so quietly that Joe never knew he was wishing to see if she would accept and profit from his reproof. But she stood the test, and he was satisfied. For though no words passed between them, he knew she had 
writing. Not only did he guess it by the fact that the second finger of her right hand was no longer inky, but she spent her evenings downstairs now, was met no more among newspaper offices, and studied with a Dodge patient, which assured him that she was bent on occupying her mind with something useful, if not pleasant. He helped her in many ways, proving himself a true friend. And Joe was happy, for while her pen lay idle, she was learning other lessons besides German, and laying down a foundation for the sensation story of her own life. It's a massive foreshadowing. And that was what I was talking about earlier when she goes from one extreme to another. She goes from writing very loose moral stories to a very strict moral story that naughty boys being eaten by bears or tossed by bad bulls because they didn't go to a particular Sabbath school. Like, that is harsh, man. But good for her to kind of decide, if I can't write anything that's going to speak to me, then might as well just wait. Because you can't really... As I try to tell my mom, because she's like, why, why isn't anything written yet? I'm like, I can't force it to come out, otherwise it's going to feel disingenuous. Joe, at that point, clearly did not feel like her heart and soul was into it. And I think sometimes taking a little break from writing helps, because otherwise you're just going to be overwhelmed with trying to write and trying to get this done and dealing with whatever else is happening in your life. As they say, prove that her second tumble down the beanstalk had done her some good. I had written here the beginning of this chapter. There's this moment when she talks about her work, but the means she took to gain her end were not the best. Also, like, too very happy in the social atmosphere about her and very busy with the daily work that earned her bread and made it sweeter for the effort, Joe still found time for literary labors. And then we have here the part where she says, like, she would rather sweep a dirt from the ground for its honest. And I was thinking, like, in the 2019 film. Joe didn't pay any attention to the children in the boarding house, and that bothered me. Yeah, well, you said that. I'm even sort of one of the things that helped give her, I guess, passage to the boarding house was her being the tutor, however you want to say, to the kids. And yeah, never really saw her interact with them. Like the first time when you see her, she's like, oh, I'm so busy working. And then the kids are just running there without her and like she's supposed to like it she's supposed to work here as a governess she would rather swipe the dirt on the street because it's honest work that's more joe to me and i remember reading from louisa may albert's journal once again that she wrote that she was looked down upon when she was working as a governess but she Embrace the tranquility of Ocean Isle Beach. As the crowds ebb away, the true essence of this coastal haven comes alive. Stroll along the quiet shoreline, collect seashells with loved ones, and savor the calm that only the off-season can bring. Discover cozy cafes, enjoy unhurried walks, and relish the beauty of nature's canvas. Ocean Isle Beach, where serenity and connection flourish. Your stay awaits at OceanIsleStyle.com. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. 
Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. I was proud to do that because it was honest work. A couple chapters before this, there's this moment where Joe is annoyed because some of the young men in the boarding house, they make fun of her because she is a governess. It was a very common job for women, but it wasn't very uh, respected. Frederick, he, he, he understands why Cho is a governess and he understands why she wants to write. It's sort of a bridge between this section to the next one. When Joe quotes Friedrich of when he says earlier about sweet mud in the street, it shows that she's listening to him and respects his ideas and thoughts. And then in the next paragraph, when she stops writing, they say, you know, if she sometimes looks serious or a little sad, no one observed it but Professor Bear. Him noticing that really shows how much he pays attention to her and really knows her character because even if she is not making a big show of it, he notices that there isn't that inky finger her right hand or that she's spending more of her evenings downstairs. Most people probably wouldn't even think about that. They just go like, oh, you're here, cool. But he knows what that means. He means she's not writing. And, I, and again, it's one of those like details about Friedrich that I think shows what a good romantic partner he is because he's able to pick up on those little subtle things about Joe. He notices Joe which is probably a first for her because most people probably glance, like pretty much glance over her. They don't take notice of her because she's not the pretty one or she's they turn away from her because she's a little bit more, you know, quote-unquote unladylike. And, but he really notices her and sees what not only that she stopped writing but what it's doing to her and and, and he doesn't just presume to go up to her and be like, so what's the deal with you and not writing? He waits for her to, to come to foreshadowing to how the proposal will go. He waits for Joe to give him the sign that it's okay to propose rather than just assume that she feels the same way because he doesn't really know if she does feel the same way and he would never dare to presume or do anything that would risk the good friendship they already have. I'm like, somebody! This part where she goes to this pop pusher who wants to teach him to go to Sunday school, or what, what was it? Sabbath school. This made me think of Tommy Bag for some reason. 
Embrace the tranquility of Ocean Isle Beach. As the crowds ebb away, the true essence of this coastal haven comes alive. Stroll along the quiet shoreline, collect seashells with loved ones, and savor the calm that only the off-season can bring. Discover cozy cafes, enjoy unhurried walks, and relish the beauty of nature's canvas. Ocean Isle Beach, where serenity and connection flourish. Your stay awaits at OceanIsleStyle.com. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. The way he burnt Flomfield. But honestly, I don't think they really punished Tommy for that in Little Man. Joe's supposed to get away from things because Joe is not that strict. Motherficker. I think it just goes to show how Freddy is a good partner for her because he loves kids just as much as Joe does. Yeah, that's it. And that's another thing that I feel like most adaptations don't properly show is Joe's love for kids. Like, again, with the marriage thing, they think, oh, she doesn't want to be married, but she also doesn't like kids. And I'm like, she probably feels the most at home with the kids. <laughs> but yeah, it's just... It was a pleasant winter and a long one, for she did not leave Mrs. Kirk till June. Everyone seemed sorry when the time came. The children were inconsolable, and Mr. Bear's hair stuck straight up over his head, for he always rumpled it whitely when, when disturbed in mind. Going home, oh, you are happy that you have a home to go in, he said when she told him and sat silently pulling his beard in the corner while she held a little leave on that last evening. She was going early, so she bade them all goodbye overnight, and when his turn came, she said warmly, Now, sir, you won't forget to come and see us if you ever travel away, will you? I'll never forgive you if you don't, for I want them all to know you. Do you? Shall I come? he asked, looking down at her with an eager expression which she did not see. Yes, come next month. Laurie graduates then, and you'd enjoy commencement as something new. That is your best friend of whom you speak, he said in an altered tone. Yes, my boy Teddy, I am very proud of him, and should like you to see him. Joe looked up, then quite unconscious of anything but her own pleasure, in the prospect of showing them to one another. Something in Mr. Bear's face suddenly recalled the fact that she might find Laurie more than a best friend, and simply because she particularly wished not to look as if anything was the matter, she involuntarily began to blush, and the more she tried not to, the redder she grew. If it had not been for Tina on her knee, she didn't know what would have become of her. Fortunately, the child was moved to hug her, so she managed to hide her face in an instant, hoping the professor did not see it. But he did, and his own changed again from that momentary anxiety to its usual expression as he said cordially, I fear I shall not make the time for that, but I wish the friend much success and you all happiness. God bless you. 
and with that he shook hands warmly, shouldered Tina, and went away. All right. <laughs> I always really liked this scene. I always thought, saw this old time period that Joe is in New York as her sexual awakening. And it happens with when she uh, hangs out with Frederick. So I think it's so funny how she blushes here and then she realizes that, oh, he might think that Laurie is something else. But Joe herself, she doesn't really know what Laurie is to her. Like she knows that she doesn't like him romantically. She doesn't quite know. Obviously, she definitely knows she's not romantic with Laurie, but... But it is kind of telling that, like she, that she blushes, Friedrich thinking that she and Lori are together. When if she if she had just been like, just thought of Friedrich as just a friend, she'd be like, oh no, it's not like that. It's it's not like that at all. But I feel like it's a little bit telling that she's having more feelings than she imagines. Because why would she feel so like kind of embarrassed or concerned about whether or not? Friedrich thought that she was in a relationship with Lori if he was just merely a friend. So I think that... And I think you said in our last discussion that in the back of her mind, she must have had knew about these expectations that there were people who thought that she and Lori would become a couple because they are such good friends. So I think she knows about these expectations, but then... The whole reason why she's in New York because Lori was harassing her and it made her feel uncomfortable. You know, and Friedrich knows nothing about really the expectations. He only knows of Lori of what Joe tells him. So he doesn't have like that same background as let's say Marmy or Lori's grandfather has. So he has no like pressure or expectations, but still the thought that he would think there would be in a relationship still makes Joe kind of feel like sort of embarrassed or uncertain because it's like, like, I don't want you to think that. Again, she could have easily just been like, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing like that at all. But I think that it was hard for her to say because I think she partially wanted to be like, no, I don't like him that way because I already like somebody else. And that would mean she'd have to admit she likes him. These 19th century courting rituals, they are so amusing because you couldn't directly tell the other person that you liked them. It took a lot of time. I was reading about them, like you had to look at the other person for every time you met them or you had to say certain things and you weren't allowed to say other things. So it was very complicated for these people. And considering that too, John Friedrich pretty much had never been in love before, never had experienced parts of anything with love that they, like romantic love, that on top of that, they're so awkward and don't know what to say or do, so it becomes that trope, um, twice shy, where they both have feelings, but neither one of them quite have the guts to say anything, and you're just sitting there like, someone say something, you say something, or you say something, but somebody say something. Some chapters after this, there is Laurie's proposal, and Joe defends uh, Friedrich when Laurie is like bad mouthing him. Joe calls him her professor, and then she says, that, Oh, I don't want to marry him or anybody else. Don't speak like that about my professor. 
And it's so funny. She didn't really know what her feelings were at the time because Beth had just died. And like, you don't really think about romance when your sister has just died. I don't know if she really even understood what this feeling is. She just a little later in the few paragraphs thinks of him as a friend worth having and to keep her whole life. But like, she's sort of, I think, relies on the feelings that she knows, which is familial love and platonic love. It takes her a little bit time to kind of realize, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, in love with this guy, like, romantically. Because I think she's also a little bit shy and, I guess, even scared to admit that she's in love because her whole life she's been told, like, she's too tall, she's too awkward, she's too not pretty and what guy is going to be interested in her and her ways that she almost feels like she is unlovable I think there is a little bit of that fear of like I admit that I say I love somebody and then only to get heartbreak then I, I don't know how I'll be able to handle that so I think that's probably partially why it took her a while to really confirm that she has any sort of feeling beyond friendship with Friedrich because she just was scared to, but somewhere in the back of her mind, her subconscious knows. Like, her subconscious is the chorus from I Won't Say I'm In Love, The Muses, while her consciousness is Matt Bagheera going like, mm, no, I'm not going to say that I am because I, I can't. But having this internal battle with herself, I sometimes feel like like you said, when she says, you know, oh, I, I, like her consciousness is like, I don't, I'm never going to get married, but her subconscious slips out my professor that that was, she could have just said, oh, you don't have to talk that way about the professor, talk about him, but no, specifically my professor. Very, very suspicious. It's so funny the way she just burst out, my professor, all of it. It's the best part in Laurie's entire proposal. <laughs> yeah. It's also really funny when Laurie says, I gave up cigars and billiards. Okay. Like, <laughs> good for you, I guess. You won't smell like a Cuban cigar or whatever. The other part I really like about that scene is when Lori is all like guilt tripper and be like, you will marry it. You'll live and die for him. And she's like, yeah, I will. If, it's, if that guy ever comes, but guess what, Lori? It's not you. Like, I love that she throws that back in his face. At that point, he had been really jerky with her, and she had been as nice and mature about it as she could, and then she was just like, you know what? Fine, I'll get real jerky <laughs> with you, too. If I ever do meet that man, then I will live and die for him, but it ain't you, man. It ain't you. I definitely think Joe had a crush on Friedrich already in New York, but I think she didn't even want to admit that to herself. When she's in New York, the way she writes about him to her mom, mommy knows exactly what's going on. I think she calls her letters. Yeah, very... Very berry. Very berry, yeah. <laughs> mommy knew. Right from the letter, I feel like she knew. And I always think of that the 2017 one when when you do see, like, Joe writing letters, then 
yeah, it cuts to Marmy describing Friedrich, and you just see Lori sitting by the fire with this sort of scowl on his face. Like, I think even he knew, he was like, oh, Joe likes this guy. Oh, no. Like, everybody in that room who was listening to other kind of maybe had that realization of, oh, you do like this. I'm trying to think of specifically the year. It's 70-something, but it's the William Shatner one with East Friedrich where Joe and Beth are at the beach and Beth goes, oh, did you get another lesson from your professor? And Joe, Joe like, takes, like, a moment she's like, what? Oh. And then she's like, please, I'm like, my professor. And Beth just kind of gives her a look like, yeah, sure, he is very, very clear that he's your professor. I love that scene. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to watch that again. That one is, I think, an, un- an underrated one. Again, it has the issue of an adult Amy, but overall, I don't think that it's a bad adaptation. I think they kind of hit some of the marks. And it has a scene where Freddy thinks about, you know, finding a job from another state. He can afford to buy a job home, and I think that is such a romantic thing from him to do in the book. I think that's like the only adaptation where, where I have seen that. Yeah, where they make out the plan of waiting till there is enough money. I know some people probably would think it's like, oh, so old-fashioned, but like it is kind of sweet that he's just like, I don't want to take you from your family, and, I, and it would be terrible for me to just take you away and not give you like a stable home and sort of living week by week. I think it's very sweet and romantic that he's like, I want to work for you. I want to be able to save up in order for us to start a proper life together. That's very mature of him to say that. Uh, Again, very sweet because he's clearly doing this for for her. But after the boys were at bed, that long before his fire with the tired look on his face, and the himwa, or homesickness, weighing heavy in, at his heart. Once, when he remembered Joe as she sat with the little child in her lap, and the new softness in her face, he leaned his head on his hands in a, a minute, then roamed about the room as if in search of something he could not find. It is not for me. I must not hope it now, he said to himself, with a sigh that was almost a groan. Then, as if reproaching himself for the longing that he could not repress, he went and kissed the two tousled heads upon the pillow, looked down at his seldom-used merchion, and opened his plato. He did his best and did it manfully, but I don't think he found that pair of rampant boys, a pipe, or even the divine plato, were very satisfactory substitute for a wife and child and home. Early as it was, he was at the station the next morning to see Joe off, and thanks to him, she began her solitary journey with a pleasant memory of a familiar face smiling in farewell, a bunch of violets to keep her company, and best of all, the happy thought. Well, the winter's gone, and I've written no books, earned no fortune, but I've made a friend worth having, and I'll keep him all my life. And so... Yeah, I kind of wish that we would get more of his point of view in this book. But we don't. We get this little glimpse. There are some in Little Man that with Frederick's point of view. 
some scenes. But he's so important because he has as much of a big of a crush on Joe as Joe has on him. Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, the way that he's, like, uh, you know, sort of roaming about the room, his face in his hand, and sitting wistfully. feels very much like how someone has a crush on someone they know they can't be with. Just this sort of, like, I don't know what to do with myself, because how do I get to express it or do anything of it? He did it manfully, as they say, but none of those things not his nephews or a pipe or a Plato could be substitutes for his own wish of a wife and family and a home of his own. Like, it's what he deserves. He deserves a place of his own with children of his own and a wife. The man deserves it. I want to point out, too, in the next section when it says Joe started her journey with pleasant memory of a familiar face smiling its farewell and a bunch of violets. During the Victorian era, violet was not only a symbol for modesty, but it was also a symbol of fidelity. It was Queen Victoria's favorite flower. Definitely, they knew back then, like, they had pretty much this, I don't know, almanac of the Victorian flower language, because they just wanted to put every meaning to flowers that they could to do, like, secret language when they could have just open up their mouth and say it but whatever the fact that she has violence and no doubt it was him that gave it to her definitely invokes this sort of feeling that I'll always be faithful and loyal to you which I think has very a sort of even deeper romantic even if they could never be romantic he's very much saying I'll always be your faithful friend it's very telling, not just faithful, but fidelity. When you think of fidelity, you think of relationships. I love yeah. that. I haven't yeah. heard that before. I think in the 2017 series, when she leaves New York, he does give her violets. Yeah. yeah. And then it kind of goes nicely with the chapter all alone, and she reads those letters from him, and then she reads how... He writes, I will come, my friend. It will take some yeah. time, but I will come. Yeah, that's one of my favorite little moments. Because um, as the narration says, it had a, it took on a new meaning. And the fact that, like, as I always kind of like can read it, like pretty much saying, wait for me, wait for me, my friend. I may be awake, I shall surely come. Obviously... Whatever the gnome was originally for, it probably was at its very simplistic. Sorry, I'm running late. I'll be there. But at this point, I think Joe is kind of catching up with the fact that she's got romantic feelings and, and needing him. Because the next not, next line is, oh, if only he would. I didn't value him half enough. And I would love to see him. It's sort of a sort of foreshadowing or prophetic noticing I promise I'll be there and in that same chapter all alone there's a moment when Joe says to Marmy that uh, she wants to know what romantic love feels like because her heart is so elastic and she didn't know that it could hold so many different forms of love and again proof that Joe wants to be married because she wants to try 
all different types of love. She's already had, again, the familial love and platonic love. Now she's ready for romantic love. The part where she gets that letter from Amy, like I always say, this, as she doesn't envy Amy for marrying Laurie, she envies that they're happily married together. Like she doesn't envy Laurie. A lot of people are always like, oh, she envied Laurie. That's not the case. I read May Alcott's biography, and then there is this letter that Louisa May Alcott wrote. No, May Alcott wrote to Louisa, and then it's almost like word to word, the same letter that Amy wrote to, to home. And then that's the part where she writes how she's lonely and she envies her sister's marriages. So it's literally here in Little Woman, the same thing that's in her journals and these letters between her and her sister. And it's one of those things that I think nobody talks about. I was really surprised because that book that where I read it, it was published in 1920s. How is this possible that nobody speaks about this? It makes sense because if we see Little Woman as an autobiographical novel, then of course there are these things that happen between Lusa May Alcott and her sisters and their their husbands and that are in this book as well. Goes along with everything that we have been discussing here. I was gonna say like when John dies, that's also because Anna's husband died at a young age. That's why she writes it that way. When we do see Joe actually writing a story, it is Little Women Inside Little Women that it is a story about her family and her. It's definitely, I always just want to say semi-autobiographical because obviously things that happened in the books are not quite the same as real life as we mentioned about Alcott not getting the chance to marry Thoreau, whereas here she's able to marry her avatar with his avatar. But yeah, it's a lot more simpler than I think people make it out to be. They try to make it be this complicated thing where it's just like, well, just, you'll know really what Joe is like and what Joe's thinking if you know who Alcott is herself and, or Amy or Meg or Matt. On the basic level, obviously events and storylines are different, but to their core, they are those girls. You're correct. There's this part where he speaks about Heimweh, or homesickness, uh, lying heavy at his heart. I think this is also one of those things that is really ignored in the films, because Frederick is an immigrant. And I think you can see some of that in the 1994 film, when he speaks about the Germany that is lost. When you are an immigrant, you don't really belong to anywhere. You have certain level of rootlessness. When I was living in the UK, I had times when I wished that I was in Finland, and when I was in Finland, I wished that I was in the UK. You get this sort of certain level of rootlessness, where you don't really belong to one place completely, but then in Germany, this idea of Heimweh, the homesickness, it was also seen as this romantic idea of belonging to not just one place, but to another person, or to a family. Friedrich clearly has this wish that he would have a family of his own. And then I think it's so important that people understand how much family meant for Joe, because Joe didn't really want it to separate from her family. But that's why Meg lives next door and 
then Amy and Lori live next door and uh, she can't have all her loved ones uh, close to her. Freddy is a family person, Joe's a family person. So the Heimweh kind of represents his longing for Joe and I think that's really romantic. Yeah, in the sense that Joe is his home. I knew ways to fall in love with him even more. <laughs> it happens. The 2017 series, it's the only one they separate as friends, I think. And then in the 1933 and 1949 film, but all the other adaptations, they argue. And then they go their separate ways, which doesn't make a lot of sense. They separate not on good terms. People should know that they separate as friends because they don't argue. And even and afterwards, like, you know, the book, they keep up the correspondence. Like, they are constantly writing each other. So I doubt very much that if you really were mad at someone or didn't like them, you would continually write to them and be like, I just want to not deal with you. So we get someone that actually writes the proper, gives us a proper adaptation, people, I think. We'll continue to do this as soon. That's how it goes. We object that. Absolutely. Well, the winter is gone. I've written no books, earned no fortune, but I've made a friend worth having, and I'll try to keep him all of my life. And she will. I was just thinking, it's kind of interesting how we have Freddie, who also longs to have a family. Then it's kind of the same with Laurie. He wants to be part of the family, but with Laurie, he's not in love with Joe. In a way, he's more in love with the family. But Friedrich is in love with Joe and wants to start a family with her. I was thinking just how, like, you know, again, Laurie not having any siblings or even parents after losing them. And with his grandfather kind of being a little distant, even if he does love them, he is sort of seeking same feeling, that same longing just because he's primarily grew up without having one. As we said, Friedrich wants a family, but he wants it because he wants her, loves her, and could imagine himself having a family with her rather than just being like, well, the only way I think I can, you know, the family's move is separating, and, I'm, and I feel like I'm going to get, you know, lost in a shuffle of, guess I'll marry Joe to help keep myself in the picture like that's you know that's a bad reason to get married obviously but um but yeah that's the distinction I feel uh, one of the other few distinctions between Friedrich and Lori Friedrich wants the family because he wants her but Lori wants her because he wants the family you know the song uh, Sound of Silence in the Little Home musical? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this part in the end inspired that, where he walks in the room and then <laughs> groans his loneliness, longing for her. Like in that song, Friedrich is like, he misses the sounds that Joe makes in the boarding house. He misses that sort of chaos that she brings to his life. He's gotten so used to to being with her that feels strange now not to have her like and I think there was a fanfic that was inspired by that because I just kind of remember he like makes a noise and Mrs. Kirk is like are you okay and he's like I just had to make noise and she's like why because it's too quiet and she's like okay but like 
the narrative is about him missing the noise because he's been so used to Joe making noise and quote unquote bothering him, but he loved it. Just feels strange not to have her around. I just realized that I think that fan fiction was inspired by that song. And it, it's such a good song. It starts very slowly and then it becomes this massive drums and describes Friedrich's character really well, how he kind of is this steady and stable person. And then he has all these feelings inside, big feelings when he falls in love with Joe. But I think the musical does it really well with Joe and Friedrich when it portrays these things that they want from each other or what they contribute to each other's lives. The way Friedrich becomes more, more active and more brave and then Joe becomes more uh, stable and she doesn't take everything too personally. I think in that scene, it's like he's reading a letter from her and says something like, she asks how I am, but how can I say? Like, And he, like you said, vents out all this frustration, all these feelings, and that just goes back to the letter and is like, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I have all these feelings, but can't say that. It's so funny because it reminds me of work, uh, story of experience, Louisa May Alcott book, and then there is the character of David, and he's such a mild-tempered person, but then it goes to the scene where he expresses love for Christy, and he just bursts everything, and he's filled with emotion and feeling, and just like thrilling in the music, or here when he's roaming in his room. He's like a man in his 40s, you know, acting like a, as they would say, schoolboy in love, and it's like, aww, it's kind of sad, you know, you want him to have that love, but then it's also kind of sweet, like, that's just adorable, you have a crush. It's like that incorrect quote when person A is like, "Uh uh-huh, babe, you had a crush on me, and person B is like, we're married. Like, (laughs) I had a crush on you. It's just perfect. I think Little Woman Musical should be adapted to a movie or an animation. I don't know why they haven't done that before. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've heard, obviously, I've heard the cast recording, but I've never actually got a chance to see, like, the whole thing live, and I've only seen, like, whatever clips that people put up on there. But yeah, it has good music in it, and it's something... I think the musical does best job with Joe and Frederick. I would change Amy and Laurie's story a bit more deeper, but other than that, it's pretty perfect. I definitely think it's one of the best when it comes to Joe and Fritz. Because it has Frederick's point of view, I think that's why it's so good. Because, you know, there is a song that Laurie has, there's a song between John and Mare, and so it's nice that there's a song that Frederick has. Because then you get to know his character. All right, we've been talking forever. Our discussions tend to be like four hours long. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many things here in this chapter. I feel like we could talk like ten more hours about this, but we need to stop. (laughs) Yeah, but I think we did a pretty good analyzing of this chapter. and, And like you said, it is definitely one of the most... Overlooked chapters, so I think having the chance to sort of analyze it and let people hear us analyze it will 
help to give them a better insight of the infamous scene that is often in the movies. So. Yeah, I think this was one of the chapters that I have read a lot of times because I wanted to understand it better. So just this conversation now, I think it has opened this chapter even better for me, even though I know the book pretty well. So yeah. I'm really pleased because it's not an easy chapter to analyze because we know that people have so many different kinds of views about it. And then Louisa May Alcott having this history, writing sensational stories. It was great to talk to you again. Yes, and with you and thank you for having me back yeah i had a couple people asking like is christina coming back to the podcast i will ask her <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very glad that i wasn't too annoying to your listeners that uh, that they don't mind me coming back so and i'm always up to discuss little women i don't have too many people in my everyday life that i can get in this kind of discussion with so this is a great outlet for me, so thank you. Thanks to you. been going at it for almost five hours, I think. Must be a record. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's good. It's good that oh, yeah. people talk about these chapters because it has bothered me how biased people are when it comes to real women. I always yeah. want more real woman meta, so this is good. Yeah. And hopefully it leads into more educated adaptations. Definitely. Someone out there who has the ability and money and connections to make a version of Little Women will hopefully listen to us and know what we as the fans want to see and have and genuinely take our considerations into it. That was our chat. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make good choices. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.